you know, I think if you want to be excellent long-term, you look at, uh, you know, the Kobe Bryant's of the world, the Michael Jordan's of the world, the Tom Brady's of the world, right? No matter what level of excellence they've achieved in their eyes, they're still waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning the next day, putting in those same amount of work that they did 20 years before, right? So really having that level of discipline and that understanding that, hey, no matter, you know, how great, you know, I think I've gotten or how much better uh, above average I've reached, I, there's still a lot more to go. You can't have that drive unless you have the desire to want to be the best. And, and that's really what it takes uh, in, in today's world. I mean, there's so much great competition out there. Uh, if you're not striving to be the best, you will suddenly end up, you know, being a part of the average and, and part of the herd uh, because it's easy to lose that passion quickly if, if you're not striving for, for, for big goals like that. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence, and today we have a great show for you. We have Omar Zarabi, founder of Port 53 Cybersecurity, co-founder of Blueboard, 31-year-old Lamborghini driver, who's here today to give you the cheat codes to excellence, like driving a Lamborghini. He's here to talk about if you're going into the workforce, why not tech? and how every single career could be converted to a tech career, and how to turn the chip on your shoulder, if you've got one, into a power play by never victimizing yourself and making some sacrifices to turn your 30s into the 30s dreams are made of. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Omar, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making time. I know you have a super busy schedule and you're sitting there on the 54th floor of whatever that office is next to the Transamerica building, enjoying your success. And I want to start off the show uh, asking you, what is your definition of excellence? Because you sure seem to be practicing it. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Yeah, I think uh, you know everyone's definition of excellence is a little different. Um, for me, uh, personally, I, I would say it's the ability to do what you say on a consistent basis. Um, uh, you know, if, if if you set goals, whether they're small or big, and and you miss them, that's when uh, you start losing a lot of confidence. But uh, you know, as you set goals and as you start achieving them, you know that gives you the confidence to set bigger and bigger goals. And as you start, uh, you know, following through on those bigger goals, you suddenly realize and look back, uh, and 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 you've accomplished a lot. So. Um, really having that mindset of of following through on on whatever you say it is that you're going to do, uh, I think is what defines uh, and and separates individuals who are excellent versus those who aren't. So that uh, that sounds like integrity. So you've got a lot of focus on integrity. So without integrity, one cannot be excellent. You're saying definitely. You know, for integrity and and being honest with yourself. You know, if 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 you. Uh, continue to tell people that you're going to you know, do something or continue to tell yourself you're going to do something and, and you don't do it, um, you're, you're never going to be excellent. So 
100%, you know, having that, that, that follow through, I think is what leads to um, wh- whatever field you're in or whatever your passion is that you're, you're, you're pursuing. Um, you know, you got to have that follow through in order to achieve any level of excellence. Yeah. So that's funny that you say that. And I, and I have never heard the same definition of excellence on this show. And that's so different than anything I've ever heard of. Uh, it's almost as if you just for your life did what you said you would do and it led you to excellence, but you got to be on a different plane. I mean, I could say I'm going to do nothing today, but that's not excellent. (laughs) I could say I'm going to go screw a bunch of things up. That's not excellence. So you're kind of, you're kind of starting off on a different paradigm than some people start off on. Yeah. I think, um, you know, if if you look at, uh, you know, what you say you're going to do, um, a lot of times, that is what ends up being the biggest limiting factor of, of one's accomplishments, right? Is, is what they think is, is possible, what they think is, is achievable. Um, so for me, you know, whenever I'm in an environment or I'm in a situation, the first thing I, I really tried to understand is, you know, what is, what is average within this environment or within the situation that I'm in, you know, and, uh, you know, what is everyone doing that, you know, that, 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 you know, can be replicated or, or that everyone is doing, you know, and, once you have a good understanding of what averages within that environment, whether, you know, you're a high school student, whether you're, you know, in, in, in college or whether you're in the workforce and in, in technology or in, in whatever sort of industry, um, once you have that understanding of what's average, then from there, you can start setting goals that are, you know, above average or, or even, you know, uh, some, some pretty aggressive goals. That's what I think differentiates, um, you know, people from, from, kind of just doing repetitive uh, tasks and, and kind of falling, you know, in that, in that herd mentality uh, from those who, who really strive is that initial understanding of, Hey, what is, you know, considered average in this role that I'm in. And, and, and once you have that, then you can put in the work and put in the effort and, and put in that, the, those goals that, that'll lead to you becoming, you know, extraordinary or, or you becoming, you know, excellent. So that's exactly where I thought you were going. You don't know, right? You're in high school. We're going to get to your high school in a second. You don't know what's going on. You just notice that you know what average is. You're being better than average. And you start doing what you say. But the goal is to be the best, right? So if you want to be the, and I understand you're coming out of college. You don't know if you can be the best. You don't know what the best is. But as you start doing what you're saying, as you prove to yourself that you deserve the arrogance that you never were arrogant. I always was. (laughs) (laughs) You deserve the arrogance um, that is now becoming confidence. Then you aim to be the best. So when I I used to, as you know, I used to be the global chairman of uh, the entrepreneurs group and people would ask me, hey, there's 20,000 members worldwide. Hey, there's all these people that are CEOs of billion dollar businesses. Why did you become the chairman of the board. And I always had one answer. I was the only guy that did what I said. And it was amazing. You're working with these famous entrepreneurs and they say they're going to do something and some of them didn't do it. So they didn't get to the the next level because they didn't do it in their companies as well as uh, in the organization. But over time, I realized it was more than just doing what I said. It was more than making the phone calls, reaching the goals, showing up on time, finishing things on time. It was that I started off wanting to be the best global chairman. I was the 25th one, wanting to be the best global chairman there ever had been. And when I joined boards, I want to be the best chairman anyone's ever seen. So I like that integrity of I'm going to do what I say and I want to be the best. Yeah. And if you don't have that desire to be the best, what you'll suddenly quickly realize is that 
it's easy to lose the passion, right? And, and it's easy, easy to become content if you're not striving to be the best. And when you're comparing yourself to average, uh, and then you suddenly start working a little harder and you start seeing success above average, you know, then it's really easy to take that success and, and take a step back. And I see this a lot. And uh, to be honest, Matt, it's something that I've really had to uh, work on, um, you know, in, in a dil- diligent manner over the last six to nine months is as you start accomplishing these goals and you see this with a lot of successful people, how do you ensure that you're continuing to put yourself in a position where you're still really hungry and you're still, you know, striving for more and more? while not forgetting what got you to where you were. And a lot of times as people accomplish certain things, they tend to forget the, the small basic things that got them to where they were. And that's definitely, um, you know, I think if you want to be excellent long-term, you look at, uh, you know, the Kobe Bryant's of the world, the Michael Jordan's of the world, the Tom Brady's of the world, right? No matter what level of excellence they've achieved in their eyes, they're still waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning the next day, putting in those same amount of work that they did 20 years before, right? So really having that level of discipline and that understanding that, hey, no matter you know, how great you know, I think I've gotten or how much better uh, above average I've reached, I, there's still a lot more to go. You can't have that drive unless you have the desire to want to be the best. And, and that's really what it takes uh, in, in today's world. I mean, there's so much great competition out there. Uh, if you're not striving to be the best, you will suddenly end up you know, being a part of the average and, and part of the herd. Uh, because it's easy to lose that passion quickly if, if you're not striving for, for, for big goals like that. Yeah. How does the fat cat stay skinny mentally? Mm-hmm, exactly. And let, let me tell I'm a little bit older than you, Omar. So that part of what you just said is, is a lifelong struggle because it's waves, right? You're doing well. You're doing well. Maybe you come off the wave because you had a bad experience and you're upset and you want to get depressed and go to bed and not be excellent anymore. Can't do that. Or maybe it's because you've been super successful and you already achieved all the dreams you had when you were young and can't do that either. Can't. And I I know I talked to you before about one of your competitors that I think would be a great person to uh, partnership later because he's got that $8 billion security company. And I was talking to him and he was talking about uh, going public. But the reason why was just because he hadn't done it before. Right. <laughs> wanted to try it at BX. Maybe I'll do it because I'd like to drive my shareholder value up. And I'm sitting there going, man, that is a guy that's constantly reinventing his drive. So how do you do that? How do you reinvent your drive? And how old are you? I know I'm not supposed to ask, but th- <laughs> this is not a legal uh, proceeding. How old are yeah, you? And how do you maintain your drive? Funny you say that. It's, uh, I just turned 31 last week. so it was Happy birthday. birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, maintaining that uh, that drive, I think, um, you know, for for individuals like myself, or I'm sure like this this uh, gentleman who runs this cybersecurity company, you know, I, I think motivation has to be intrinsic, right? And and you don't you don't you don't get to that level if you're only motivated by outside, uh, you know, uh, outside things. So if you have an intrinsic motivation, then how do you keep that up? And and I think it's different for each and uh, each individual. But for me. It really has to do with accomplishing personal goals that I've never accomplished. And, and the way I continue to set those goals is by looking at uh, my mentors and looking at the people around me uh, who I look up to and seeing what they've accomplished and then, and then wanting to aspire towards that, right? So uh, one little perfect example. So yeah, ever since I was a kid, you know, a big goal of mine was to have a Lamborghini, right? And that was like the epitome of, of you know, in terms of transportation of success for me was having a Lamborghini. Well, I did that on my 30th birthday. I got, I was able to get myself a Lamborghini and that right there, it could have been like, okay, you're 30 years old and you just accomplished what you thought was, you know, the, the epitome of success from a transportation standpoint. 
So I could have easily been content with that. But what I did was I put myself in situations and environments around other people who've accomplished so much more than just a Lamborghini. You know, one little example, Grant Cardone, who's a big mentor of mine, talks about buying a jet. So the first thing I did after I got into a Lamborghini was, all right, this is great. But now what do I have to do in order to get myself in a private jet, you know, in, in order to own a private jet? So, you know, setting those, those goals um, and continuing to look at people, because I mean, your your viewpoint of the world is is limited to to what you expose yourself to, right? So if you're not exposing yourself to individuals who are doing, you know, things at a much higher level than you are, and I guarantee you, no matter how high you're doing things, there are individuals like that. And you're just surrounding yourself with, you know, your, your, the people who, you know, you've kind of grown up with or the people who are just at your stage and at your level. Well, you're never going to advance and you're never going to push yourself to, to accomplish those bigger and, and, and loftier goals. So that's one thing that I've continued to do is to set those goals. And, and those goals are, are created by me looking at, uh, you know, individuals who've accomplished way more than I have, who, you know, been more successful than I am right now. And, and really looking at the things I look for, that, that I that, that I appreciate in them, that I admire in them, and, and then going after it and setting goals uh, for myself to be able to attain those certain things or build those certain characteristics or, or those certain traits. Okay, and, and you're a car guy. I'm a car guy. There's a couple reasons to kind of go off script, and one of them's cars. <laughs> uh, which Lamborghini? The Udis. Oh, okay. So I was going to say, was it the one you had on your poster as a kid? But no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, it didn't even exist then. But that was the thing. I thought, uh, you know, as a 30-year-old, uh, it would have been a little too pretentious driving around in a Huracan or something like that here in San Francisco. So decided to go with the more subtle Lamborghini. Well, that was my goal, too, by the way. Um, but mine was a Ferrari, and I got one when I was 27. And then I got a second one when I was 31. And then I got a psychologist to work with me on dealing with the guilt I had. Cause you know, I do a lot of charity work and I try to help out mostly. I, I spent a lot of time with uh, high school kids, but I spent a lot of time with hungry people too. And I had a real problem that I had the cars and I had to hire a psychologist for it. And I figured it out. Cause it wasn't a look yeah. at me thing. It was, I like to drive like a maniac and I like excellence. Yeah. And that SUV that you drive is the most excellent SUV. And if you have the baseball glove interior, which I hope you do, do you have it? Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. the baseball glove. You gotta glove come out, interior. man. I'm telling you, man. Next time you're in San Francisco, I'm gonna take you on a drive. We're gonna stop by your favorite restaurant. We're gonna come up here, take a few pictures up from the view. Yeah. It'll be a good time for sure. This is sounding better and better. I'm so glad I do this <laughs> podcast now. Well, let's get back on the script and go back to high school a little bit because uh you, you haven't always had a Urus and a 53rd floor apartment and office in downtown San Francisco. And you probably didn't expect you'd have it by 31. Uh, and you probably didn't think that when you did have it, you'd be resetting the bar higher. Actually, I'm going to stop for one second. We talked a lot about money and cars and I'm a money and car guy, but that's not my value system. And I know you and it's not your value system. It's not about that, right? Definitely. Why does it matter? Why, why do you get it? You don't care about money. Why do you care about chasing it down? Or why do you care that you get the Lamborghini? Yeah, I think um, you, you put it uh, perfectly, right? It's a, one, it's a, it's a sign of excellence, right? It's how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? And uh, when it comes to money, money too, I, I think, um, you know, it's an indication of value, right? I'm a wholehearted believer of, you know, the, the value that you bring to the market is what you're going to get paid back in return. So that's why I track it and I measure it, um, you know, religiously with every single person within my organization, and especially 
you know, my sales reps and, and, and my account executives who, who are money hungry, I focus never on, on the dollars. It's always on the value. Hey, if you're solving bigger problems, if you're able to, you know, help organizations in a larger manner, and if you're able to deliver, you know, bigger and bigger value and more and more value to your customer, that's a definition of business. That customer will pay you for that value. So yeah, I think it's a great measurement uh, to the level uh, or a measurement of the level of value that you and your organization can bring to the table. So that's how I look at money is, hey, I mean, if, are, are we succeeding? Are we adding enough value to our customers or are we not? And and if you're not, then you're not getting paid for it, plain and simple. But if you're bringing enough value and and like, yeah, like you should reward yourself because I mean, for me, the car was 100% more of a um, hey, let me put myself in an, in an excellent mindset from the moment I get out of bed till you know the moment I get back back home, and you know getting into a car like that, driving to your office, it definitely puts you in a different mindset. You know, going to a meeting in a car like that definitely gets you in a different mindset. That that excellence mindset. So you know you're not going to be getting in a Lamborghini, going to the office, and not dressing up, right? You're going to dress up in a suit if you're going to be hopping in a Lamborghini and 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 going into an office. So. Little things like that I, I've done since, you know, since, uh, you know, as far back as I can remember, little tricks or little uh, sort of cheat codes for yourself. I'm sure uh, everyone has them. Um, figure those out for your own. For me, it's 100%. I mean, one, one little example, I hated waking up in the mornings. Uh, it was my least favorite thing, but I knew that if I really wanted to accomplish what I wanted to do, I, I had to wake up, you know, before 5 a.m. So what I started doing is I got a personal trainer and just, you know, forced myself and forced him to get me to the gym at 5 a.m. every morning. That was when I was like 23, 24, and that habit stuck. So I put myself in a position where I had to build that habit. Same exact little cheat codes, for example, um, dressing up. I dress up in a suit every day, not just to show off, but because of the fact that it gives me that extra kick, that extra level of confidence when I walk into a conversation with the CIO you know, or I walk into a conversation with the CISO and I ask for a $500,000 check, right? So, uh, and the same exact thing, the car was a cheat code for myself to put myself in, in a mentality every single day before I get into the office. And that mentality is that mentality of excellence. I love that. I love that. Uh, so let's go back to high school before you had the cheat codes, before you defined your excellence, um, before there even was a Eurus that you say so much better than I say it. What was life like? How did you see yourself and how did you find your path? Yeah. So, um, you know, in, in high school, um, the one thing that, that I always felt like I, I, well, I always had a chip on my shoulder. I mean, I came in here when I was four years old from Afghanistan to the Bay Area, didn't speak a lick of English. Um, and I remember like in kindergarten, first grade, how much shit I got from kids because I didn't speak English and because, you know, I didn't wear like the, the, the regular clothes. I used to wear like traditional clothes going into school. And that sort of uh, bullying that I experienced, I think early on, definitely put a chip on my shoulder. Uh, and that chip was more like, hey, like, I'm better than you. I just need to prove it to you now, right? And uh, like, I don't care about my clothes. I don't care about my language. I know for a fact that I, I work harder than you and I'm better than you. So now it's just a matter of, of proving it out. So that's how, what it was in high school. You know, I was um, an AP in honors classes uh, since as far back, you know, since, uh, since ninth grade. My older sister, she was known at that school. She uh, had just gotten into Stanford when I was a freshman there. So we were looked at, you know, as a whole family, you know, pretty high up from an academia standpoint uh, at my high school. But at the same time, I was a jock. I played basketball, you know, since uh, sixth grade. 
I was, uh, you know, I was cool with the basketball kids. I used to hang out with the jocks. I, I, I hated that nerd aspect of me. I tried to hide it as much as possible, even though I would crush it in classes. So because of that, though, all throughout high school, you know, I, I felt like I had a, uh, I had an upper, uh, like a, like a upper leg than the, the, than the average college student. You know, I felt like I was a little more competitive because, you know, I had AP and honors classes, but I played varsity for three years. And, you know, at that time, the jocks were dumb and then the nerds and the smart people in AP and honors classes weren't playing sports. So me, I felt like, okay, cool. I'm doing both of these. I'm getting along with both these groups. I'm able to have intelligent conversations with both these groups. So um, that, that's pretty cool. But then when I got to Davis, when I got into college, I suddenly realized that everyone had AP and honors classes and, and everyone was the you know, star of their varsity sports team. And that's when I started feeling average and feeling normal again, which, which I absolutely hated, um, you know, as a freshman in college, uh, amongst 30,000 students feeling like you were just one of. And that was actually a big reason why I decided to, uh, you know, take on college works as an internship my freshman year when I was introduced to it. I didn't even remember that you were a freshman. <laughs> so funny. And I talk to people about this. You know, there's prejudice in the world, right? You got brown skin. I got white skin. You probably feel it a little bit more than me. You and I are men. My wife's a woman. She probably feels it a little differently than us. But I tell people, you get the cards you're dealt with. 100%. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So you turn that prejudice around. You know, college works, we say everyone's going to be against you because you're young. So why not talk them about talk to them about how you haven't uh, picked up the bad habits yet? Yeah. Or you're you're the guy that uh, can't speak the language right, isn't wearing the right clothes. Maybe you're just unique. Right. <laughs> no, I think um, you know that that's the one thing that uh, um, I owe a lot of my success to is the fact that I've never victimized myself in, in any mm. regard. And a lot of that has to do with uh, you know the uh, obviously the, the the level of support I saw from my mom and my dad um, while I took on these different projects and these different challenges. But yeah, there's been plenty of times where you know even like coworkers or, or managers or VPs, uh, just like you, Matt. You know, I like got VPs over here in, in sales. I mean, they love to joke around and they feel comfortable. And yeah, I mean, I joke around back, but you know whenever race would come up, people would be like, Oh, like, is that cool? Is that all right? I'm like, dude, I don't care. Go ahead and make fun. Go ahead and joke around. I don't take it personally. That has no, you know, no bearing on, on who I am as, as, as a person. So you want to make those jokes, go right ahead. And even in day-to-day -day business, you're not getting promoted, but go ahead <laughs> and make those jokes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So whatever then, and same exact thing. I mean, there's been a lot of times, especially, you know, I mean, being an, uh, you know, an Afghan American building a international cybersecurity firm uh, where there's has been pushback where people have asked questions and, and even customers like, oh, where are you from? And, you know, a lot of people even around me, I've seen use that as a reason as to why not to do certain things or why not to push the, the limits or, or, you know, use it as a reason behind why they weren't able to accomplish something. And that's just so frustrating. I mean, life isn't fair, plain and simple. And I tell that to everybody, but one thing that we got to realize is is truly how 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 blessed we are, uh, you know. And 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 you know, if you look at for, for me personally, I've, I have traveled the world just like you have, and I see the opportunities available to very talented, very smart individuals, kids who are who are way smarter than I was back in high school and college, and they just don't have the opportunity to shine. They don't have the opportunity to let their stars shine because of the country that they were born in, or because of you know the environments that they were put in, or whatnot. I mean. Think of how many other Bill Gates, how many, you know, Mark Zuckerbergs never got an opportunity to let their star shine because they were born in, you know, the Middle East or they were born in Africa. So 
just having that mentality and that mindset um, throughout the you know my twenties has has definitely helped me in, in pushing through and 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 staying motivated regardless of what the hurdles are, whether they were racially or or whether they were you know stereotypically or or whatever. You're gonna face them, uh, whether you're a white man, whether you're a you know black man, whether you're an Afghan, whether you're a woman. There's never gonna be a, a situation where you're treated 100% fairly. Get used to it. Don't don't let it affect you too much, and 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 use it like I mentioned as as a chip on your shoulder and, and as ammo. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. So I'm going to come back to the chip on the shoulder, but I got to challenge you on one thing. If anyone ever says a racial joke around me, my response is always the same. You can't talk like that around me. And then people will say, what do you mean? I say, you can't talk like that around me. And I'll tell them the story of my conversation with my grandfather who was racist. And I sat him down when he was 85 and said, you can't talk like that around me. I'll tell him the story about my buddy from Buffalo whose brother said something racist. And I said, you can't talk like that around me. And I have a circle around me at all times, an invisible circle where people rise up a little bit better in how they talk and their discourse, because I, I don't want to hear it from anybody anywhere. So I challenge you to not let them make those jokes besides just firing them, which I know you probably do. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think for, for me, what, what it is, is, you know, and, and uh, trust me now, I'm at, now that I'm at this level, like no one's making those sorts of jokes, but this is when I was an entry level sales guy, right? Ah, uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, 100%. But the way I look at it, you know, as, as, as an Afghan American here in Silicon Valley is, yeah, if I, you know, respond to that, or if I let it affect me in any way, well, that's only going to sort of justify their perception and whatnot. So for me, it's like, okay, well, as long as I continue to be the best version of myself, that's the way I'm going to fight these injustices. That's the way I'm going to change people's perceptions. You know, this guy thinks that Afghans are like this. Well, let him get a chance to know me by him getting to know me. That's going to change his whole perception of Afghans. And I guarantee he thinks Afghans are like that. And he's never met an Afghan before in his life, probably. Right. So that's that's how I combat those issues is, you know what, let, let me let me show you what, you know, what an Afghan is and what yeah. an Afghan American is and then make your decision. <laughs> I love that. What I love the most is your chip on your shoulder, though. So I, you, you don't know this, but my, my parents were, you know, somewhat poor when I was growing up. We were, we were on food stamps for a while, living in Coolidge, Arizona. I used to say from food stamps to Ferraris. And then we were kind of lower middle class. And then we were, you know, middle, middle class. And all I wanted to be was 
upper class. And, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know why I was so motivated by it, but part of it was the pain because my grandparents paid for me to go to an elite private school. My dad picked me up in an old truck and everybody else had fancy cars and people looked down on me. And there's a lot of people out there. Someone's listening to this right now that's got a chip on their shoulder. And if I could go back to my 20-year-old self, which is, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I've studied Vedanta. I've met the Dalai Lama. I mean, you're not supposed to think like this, but I'm not enlightened. You know, I don't want to be fully enlightened. I like that I had that chip on my shoulder that I wanted to shove Ken Johns' face into the dirt with my success because, you know, I'm in New Mexico and people would... Like, like this guy, Ken Johns, actually literally kind of screwed up my life a little bit because he made a mistake and thought I had done something to his daughter, which doesn't sound very good on the recording, <laughs> <laughs> but he thought I TP'd their house or something and I hadn't done it. And this guy kind of made my life miserable. And I thought, you know what I want to do? I want to be able to do that. But unlike that asshole, instead of kind of pointing my power in a negative way to show everybody that I was superior, and, and I see you doing it too, I was able to lift the other people and help them out. But the chip on my shoulder from wanting to kick everyone's ass at the Albuquerque Academy has driven me so finally to the point, and I talked about the psychologist, finally to the point where I let it go, but I didn't let it go completely because I still want to kick all their asses. I think success 100% is the best revenge, right? And uh, for me, whenever somebody tells me, you know, especially if it's something I'm passionate about, if somebody tells me that I can't do something or, oh, that's unattainable, that just like motivates me more than anything else. So 100%, I think uh, if, if you don't have a chip on your shoulder, go and find one, you know, in your early twenties. And if you're in college, find something to piss you off or, 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 or to, to put that chip on your shoulder because it helps out, man. And, and, and especially when, when, um, you know, you're going after lofty goals and, and things get rough, that chip on the shoulder is what kicks you out of bed in the morning and, and gets you to, you know, uh, grind that 15, 20 hour day. Um, if, if things aren't going well, so, um, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, a, a personal vendetta, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, 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 proving someone wrong, whether it's, you know, getting to a certain level, uh, you know, in terms of success for yourself to prove other people, you know, wrong, find that chip and, 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 and definitely, you know, use it as an edge for yourself because uh, uh, it'll help long term. And please remember to also read the books written by the Dalai Lama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to mellow out the edge of the chip. A little bit, right? So you're you're you got a chip on your shoulder, you got some good sports skills and some great grades. You go to UC Davis, you find all these crazy people are in the same boat as you because they got into a UC school. Um, you joined College Works to kind of set yourself apart. And then you moved on and started a couple companies. Now you're employing a bunch of people. Oh, and by the way, one of the things Omar is looking for in the podcast is if you've done College Works, he wants to hire you. But I want to talk to you for a second, just if you look back. Well, first of all, you got to tell us what you do because you know, someone's listening to this call right now and they're thinking tech and they're thinking cybersecurity and they're thinking Lamborghini and they're thinking, I'm an Afghan American too. I want to follow that guy's lead. What exactly do you do on a daily basis? What skills does it take to do it? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, uh, just technology as a whole just has opened up so much opportunities because it's broken down barriers. 
and it's broken down, um, you know, territories in, in a way. I mean, your reach uh, with technology is unlimited. Uh, you know, which is proven with, with our with our company over here at Four Fifty Three. We're a four year old company. We have uh, you know customers all over the nation, every single state in the U.S. and across Canada and the U.K. already. We're looking to expand uh, to Australia and Dubai here in 2021. Um, so technology as a whole, I think, is just a massive opportunity. If you look at myself, I, I graduated UC Davis with an economics major. I got into cybersecurity. Uh, it was actually serendipitously. I was a, one of my uh, former college works interns. Uh, she was a recruiter here in San Francisco. And this is after I'd done my interview at Google, at Salesforce, you know, at Cisco. I'd gotten a few offers. Uh, but she's like, hey, this is a startup. It's a cybersecurity company. You should go go, go meet with the, at least the VP. Met with the VP. Ended up being a three, three and a half hour long interview. Uh, I absolutely loved the culture. Started at, uh, at uh, OpenDNS. That was the name of the company. And basically what we do, uh, well, at OpenDNS, what they did is they leveraged DNS. So DNS is the phone book to the internet. So when you put, you know, a step example, like Google.com uh, in your web browser, there's actually an IP address on the back end that phones home. So the internet doesn't talk with uh, uh, letters. It only can talk with numbers, right? So just like on your cell phone where you have like mom saved or, or, or brother saved, when you press mom, you know, there's actually a phone number that it dials on the back end. That's the exact same thing with the internet. So, you know, our first layer of defense and what we, we do with customers is protect at the DNS layer. So if you put google.com, we want to make sure that it's dialing the IP address to google.com or you know, if you put facebook.com, we want to make sure it's going to the Facebook IP addresses and servers. It's not getting redirected to go somewhere else. So that's our first line of defense. Um, and then from there, you know, what we really aim to do is work with SMB customers. So small and mid-sized businesses across the nation who don't necessarily have the cybersecurity expertise, who don't have the engineers internally. You know, we really help them in understanding what risks they see on a day-in and day-out basis when it comes to cyber. and then come up with a roadmap of, hey, here's where your risks lay. Uh, here's where you need to be in terms of your, your appetite for risk. And then from there, help them in deploying the, uh, the tools and putting in the policies and putting in the processes to help them in, in getting there. So, you know, we, we say we're a cybersecurity company, but, uh, you know, we're a lot more than that, really, when we engage with customers. Um, we really help them in understanding risk uh, as a whole uh, and then helping them in, in mitigate that and, and in turn, get, giving them the confidence to, uh, continue to uh, you know, leverage technology to give themselves a competitive advantage uh, in their market space. So that's what I do on a day in and day out basis. But I mean, I think technology as a whole, there's so much opportunity in it. Uh, like I said, I am a cybersecurity CEO. I was an econ major before, right? So you don't necessarily have to be an engineer uh, in order to break into tech. You don't have to you know, know how to code or, or be a software developer uh, in order to break into tech. There's so many different roles. You know, If you go, at, go to a technology startup or technology company, you can go in you know, as a marketing major and, 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 and get into their, their, you know, marketing side or their business development side, you could get in from the HR routes, you know, and, and, and work your way up there within a tech company, you can get into sales, uh, you get into business operations, you can get into the finance side of a tech company, right? So that's my biggest advice. Uh, and I think it was the biggest uh, godsend for me uh, back in 2013 is, is uh, you know, get, get into tech, whatever, whatever your major is, whatever you, you're, you're studying you can apply that to a technology company because uh, with technology, I mean, like I said, th there are no limits. Uh, you know, if I was running a, a, a physical security company, uh, the only people I'd be able to tailor to would be the, the, those customers who I could actually physically send humans to, right? Or go in and, and, and physically protect. 
Uh, but with cyber, I mean, we're like I mentioned, we're protecting customers all over the world from my desk here in San Francisco. So yeah, that's, that's my biggest advice. And that's what I do on a day in and day out basis. So if you're like me and you just heard that and you're an entrepreneur, it's port53.com to hire Omar and his team to come save you. So I don't think we've done business with you with, with National Services Group. We need to after that spiel. And uh, if, if you uh, don't want to get into the tech world after listening to that, maybe you're crazy. But Omar's looking to help you do that. And I normally don't stop in the middle and say that about people's companies, but that was that was amazing. Thank you for that. Of uh, so you started this business. You've gone through all this stuff in your life. You've uh, gotten to this uh, first level of success, practicing excellence for a whole 31 years and looking way, way, way back to your 20s, you made some sacrifices. What sacrifices did you make that you never regret? Oh, man. I think um, my 20s was uh, defined by sacrifices, right? Um, and I think the best way to put it is, uh, you know, the, the, the mindset that you want to have uh, in your 20s. You know, Bill Gates has been interviewed plenty of times and he said this. The reason why that he is where he's at today is because he didn't take a single day off in his 20s, right? And I'm a huge believer in that. That became really uh, prevalent to me um, when I was working at OpenDNS. Uh, this is back in 2014, and I was starting Blueboard on the side. Uh, you know that, that so so OpenDNS cybersecurity company Blueboard uh, was basically an employee rewards platform that me and one of my uh, former college works buddies actually decided to start up a way to reward employee employees uh, with experiences as opposed to with things like gift cards or cash bonuses. So you know. Being a top performer at OpenDNS, trying to take off, uh, you know, blue board from the ground. I remember there was one day, it was like a 17-hour workday. I was working the East Coast uh, during my OpenDNS days. So I'd gotten in at 4 a.m., you know, cranked out uh, a, day, the, a full day of work, absolutely had an amazing day. And then we had a 4 p.m. appointment uh, with this uh, company called PagerDuty. They were about a 300-person Series C company. Uh, to talk to them about Blueboard and, and trying to sell them on on uh, having Blueboard as their sales incentives as opposed to you know uh, a cash bonus or anything like that. So we go into that meeting. It was me, um, you know, my my CEO of Blueboard and the other co-founder. We do an hour long pitch and we absolutely get chewed apart. Like the CEO of the company's there, the COO, the director of sales, and they just absolutely you know break down the company. Like call us out. Like say it's half baked. Say we're not anywhere close to what we're positioning over here. The guy literally called us, you guys are a kid trying to start up a little company here. And I remember leaving that meeting after I just had a crazy day. I think I closed something like 80 grand to OpenDNS that day alone. So you can feel, you can see, sense like the dichotomy of like having such a great day at one job and just absolutely getting chewed out of, at the other startup I was starting. So we go back to the Blueboard office and this it was like in a little incubation office at the time. And uh, we sat there until like 9 p.m. just hashing out like, okay, well, how can we improve the pitch? How can we improve the positioning? Do we want to go after sales? Should we have this more of an HR tool? So on and so forth. So it's like 9.30 and I'm driving home and I'm absolutely tired. I got to wake up at 4.30 the next morning again. I call my dad and I told him, I was like, hey, you know, I had a really good day at OpenDNS. Here's what happened at Blueboard. And uh, to be honest, like, I don't know if I really want to continue with Blueboard. I think I'm just going to go all in on, on OpenDNS and, and focus all my efforts there because I'm doing so well at it. And my dad was like straight up told me like, yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's good to, to, you know, continue to, to focus on what you're good at. 
but plain and simple, man, like, you know, if, if you want to just work one job, if you want to work a nine to five uh, right now, um, and you want to be okay with that, you don't want to take on any side projects. Well, just understand that you're going to be 50 years old and you're going to be working a nine to five. You're going to be my age and you're going to still be working a nine to five. If you want an opportunity to live life on your terms, if you want to have the freedom to do what you want with who you want to do it, when you want to do it, by the time you're 35, 40, well, you have to put in those 15, 20 hour work weeks now. You have to be okay when you don't have the other obligations, you don't have the distractions, you have the energy, put in the time now in your 20s to set yourself up for success because you don't want to be 50 worrying about where your next paycheck's coming from or, or having to clock in or clock out. So yeah, I mean, you could go ahead and quit blue board if you want, but understand that if you just take on one job, you're going to be working one job for the rest of your life. And that was just such an eye opener for me. Uh, ever since then, you know, like the whole concept of of work has just completely changed for me. And, you know, I put in 10, 12, 15 hour days um, and it's become totally normal because of that mindset. So that's my biggest advice uh, for, for anyone. Uh, the way you want to look at your 20s is, is it's the time to build. So make sacrifices. I mean, I still haven't been to a music festival yet. All my friends keep telling me about Coachella, Lollapalooza, even here in San Francisco, you know, that you have a... Uh, uh, whatever the one that here is in, in Golden Gate Park every year. I just don't have the time for it. I just don't uh, have the bandwidth for it from a mental capacity standpoint. Uh, so one little example is that, you know, so, uh, and then just over the last five years, if you look at my work tra travel, or if you look at my travel as, as a whole, I took one vacation and that was after, you know, I, I had uh, left Open DNS after the acquisition by Cisco. I took a two week vacation to Turkey before I started at Blueboard full time. But besides that, every other trip I've gone to has been work-related, and I've made sure that it's been work-related. So my trips I've gone to London, it's been the startup, our, our, our office is there, it's to go meet with you know, Cisco account managers. Every time I go to New York, it's to meet with account managers there, it's to look at office space. You know, if I'm going to Miami, it's for a conference or for a seminar. So yeah, I mean, you, there's ways to cheat it to where you can still enjoy it, but don't take any days off. You, know, you want to enjoy the process in your 20s. But everything that you do should be with that growth mentality, with that building mentality and that building mindset. If it's not helping you build towards a better future, then don't do it. Put it aside. You know, you don't need to waste time celebrating a three-day weekend over in the desert for no reason. What the hell are you celebrating? You know, you're 24, dude. So that's my mentality. And, and that's my biggest uh, <laughs> advice. Uh, what are you? That, that's going to be a hard one for our audience to uh, stomach. What are you celebrating? You're 24. I love it. So, you know, the rule of 72, right? Compound interest. Mm -hmm. And you know that if you invest uh, $5,000 a year in your retirement account between 20 and 30 years old and never invest another dime again, you'll have more money in your retirement account than if you invest in your 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way up to 65 because of compound interest. And what I discovered early in life, if you invest the hours in your career in your 20s, you're so far ahead that the rest of the group never gives up. But you're talking about freedom, right? You're 31 years old. You can work 15 hours a week or not. Um, you have the freedom to choose. When you're 40 years old, you might have children. And it's a bummer situation to be in if you were smoking weed through your whole 20s and popping Molly, going to the uh, music festivals, and you forgot to work. Yep. And then when you're in your 40s, you don't have the freedom. 
So you don't get to take off and go tour colleges with your kids or take off for the middle of the day baseball game or go to Sacramento on the fourth grade trip because you're working for the man because you didn't get it done in your 20s. In your 20s, exactly. And that was a message that my dad you know, told me. And, and it was one conversation. I actually never had a chance to bring it up with him. Uh, he unfortunately passed away a, a year and a half ago. But to this day, that was one of the probably life, most life-changing conversations I've, I've ever had. He knew you appreciated it. Yeah. So uh, you, you also, as you were talking there, you, ca- you kept talking about closing deals, closing deals. You're in the tech industry. We've got engineers I've met that are closing deals, closing deals. So in your business, you're not a sales guy. You're not closing deals anymore. How important are your sales skills and the, the skills that you acquired through selling things uh, as far as it goes to management and leading your business? Yeah, 100%. I think, um, you know, if, if anyone wants to run a business, uh, you know, you'll suddenly soon realize that uh, uh, a lot of business hits sales, right? You might not be selling a product, you might not be selling to a customer, but you're constantly selling, you know, your vision, you're constantly selling your why your way is the right way to move things forward, right? And those skills have, have definitely stuck with me. And, and they're more important, I think, now than ever before, because, you know, the the, the, the level I'm playing at, right? So, um, sure, I might not be, you know, talking to customers. I still try to sit in on on sales calls with my reps, uh, you know, here and there, just to, you know, have a pulse on on the market and whatnot. But you know, a lot of the the, the my sales happens. A lot of my meetings on a day in and day out basis is with partners. You know, trying to like uh, un- like get them to focus more on on our efforts and 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 trying to get them to you know invest more and more you know in our go to market strategy. That's all sales. Me selling the the, the you know these large multi billion dollar companies on why our route to market is much more effective than whatever they think is or whatever they're trying to do. You know, going through like mergers and acquisitions, looking to, you know, buy technologies, but, you know, buy companies, those are all sales, you know, and, and it's not direct sales, but there's there a lot of things around like, you know, understanding need, developing need, building that, you know, kind of assuming the sale, you know, kind of showing them how life is on, you know, on the other side of the, uh, of the, of the fence, you know, how, how much it's greener, things like that definitely stick with you long-term. Um, and, and they're going to be very valuable. So sales is something you'll quickly realize regardless of what industry you go to uh, or what industry you start a company in, it's going to be something that you will use long-term, no doubt. So I, I went to uh, Indiana this weekend and ran some trainings for college work. So I was up there teaching the need satisfaction selling cycle. Funny that you're funny that you're still using it. I'm going to close out with this. You know, I go to these YPO events and I go to these YO events and they bring in these people to teach us how to make sure our kids still have that drive. How do you, it's uh, the Richard and Linda air call it the entitlement trap. And I strongly recommend to anybody listening that has kids uh, to get, pick up the book, the entitlement trap. How do you make sure that you have a billion dollars that your children still have that drive, maybe not a chip on their shoulder, but still have that drive. And I live in orange County, California. You know, I have friends that grew up like that. And Sean Baldwin's one of them that I can think of. The kids got the drive. And I, and I, every once in a while, I'll go to their parents, my friend Alex and, and two, two friends, Alex and Lisa. I'll sneak aside and talk to their parents. I've done it a couple of times. I'm going to do it again and say, hey, you did a good job. I mean, how did you do this? You, they still have the drive. They still have the chip on the shoulder. The other day, every once in a while, I'll watch an interview for CollegeWorks. And there was a woman on the interview from Oregon. I don't know her name, but I was watching the interview 
do in training, like, like what you do when you go on sales calls. And this young lady, first of all, she's with it. She's answering the questions, asking the right questions. And she starts to let out her history. And her history was she's lived in five foster homes in five years. And she was in one of the homes. And I called Sean afterward, Sean Levy, you know, Sean. I said, hey, I saw this interview. That woman really impressed me. And it was right around Thanksgiving. I'm like, you know how I am. I'm a softie. Uh, I wanted to know what she was doing for Thanksgiving. And I guess the fifth foster home was almost like a real home. And she was going uh, to spend Thanksgiving because you're in college. When you're in college, you're out of the foster system. So the last one she had, you think about that. You're 18 years old. You're done. You got no more parents anymore. The last one she had ended up being great. So she was going there for Thanksgiving and Christmas. So in two weeks, I'm going to go up to Oregon because he hired her. I'm going to go up to Oregon and I'm going to get to meet this person in person. And I want to start a wager in our business. There's, she's going to be hard to beat yeah. because she's gotten through a lot of stuff. So if you're on the call right now and you grew up like me in New Mexico, wishing that uh, you had a little bit more power or you grew up in the uh, like uh, Omar and maybe you dealt with a little prejudice and you were a little different. Maybe you came from another country and didn't speak the language or maybe you have you're in the foster system and you're wondering what to do with yourself. I think Omar just laid it out pretty well. And if you want to meet Omar or work with Omar, look up his business and see if uh, you can follow the path that he did. And Omar, I want to say thank you very much. You know that I've been chasing you down to do this uh, to, to do this podcast. And I told you that I wanted you on the first season because I heard the other podcast you did uh, for us with Lulu. And it was everything I expected. So thank you very much for joining us. And thank you for continuing to live on the edge of excellence. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.